There are some moments in life you never forget. The depression hit everyone hard. No jobs, no food. We were broke. Looks like you still owe a balance on this semester. So uh, what's that about making some money? You're the rowing team. Your honor, you get a part-time job included, cheap place to live. Eight-man crew is the most difficult team sport in the world. The average human body is just not meant for such things. Most of you will not be chosen. Beautiful speech, coach. They're announcing the team today. Are you going to make it? We rode out of need. Come on, boys. The need to stay in school. The need to eat, to sleep. We got to keep these right as long as we stay on the team. Washington Huskies coach is bringing an inexperienced vote to the competition. They said we couldn't compete with the richest schools in the nation. The Washington vote has taken the lead. Washington has done it. I got nine seconds under the course record. Olympic year this year. Olympic year? I didn't realize. That bunch of kids load like no one else that's ever come through here. Everybody else tires and just gets stronger. We have a boat that I believe could qualify for an Olympic spot. Hope you know what you're doing. They said we couldn't beat the Germans. We gotta beat those other schools first, but coach says we have a shot. Maybe we can roll as a team. If you guys don't get yourselves figured out, you're not racing at all. The boys, that boat, Saga. But they didn't understand who we were. Let's show them what's in this book. Proud of you, boys. Inspiring. Uh, you missed the part where I told him not to tip over. And I Roll for your country. Roll for each other. For all the people who never believed in you. As one. As one. Oh my gosh. That, of course, is the trailer from MGM's new film, The Boys in the Boat, which opens this Christmas welcome to today's book, film, and episode review of the Not Old Better show, the destination for stories that not only captivate, but also enlighten us, especially as we navigate the rewarding journey of our later years. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and in this episode, we are delving into a tale, a story that transcends the realm of sports embodying the essence of human tenacity, The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown, who will join us in just a moment. We'll be speaking with Daniel James Brown. But first, a little catch up. As the book is a few years old, I think about uh, 2015 or 16, the film version arrives this Christmas, as I say. And I just found the film, which I've seen already, wonderful. The book is amazing. I... uh, uh, I love to do these book film reviews recently, having done lessons in chemistry. By the way, another story uh, with a rowing tie-in. So we've got a rowing theme going on right now. But, but Boys in the Boat unfolds the true story of the University of Washington's 1936 eight-oar crew and their remarkable pursuit of gold at the tumultuous Berlin Olympics. We all remember the Berlin Olympics with Adolf Hitler, but this is more than a story of athletic triumph. It is 
really a profound exploration of an era marked by the shadows of the Great Depression and the rise of Nazi Germany. It eloquently juxtaposes the personal, gritty struggles of a group of young men with the broader political and social turmoil of their times, creating a narrative that is as historically significant as it is emotionally impactful. I think you'll find this to be true. As we go through this episode today, you will hear from Daniel James Brown, the author of the book. We'll also be talking to one of the stars of the film. We're going to be talking to Callum Turner. We are going to hear all about what it meant to play Joe. And Joe is one of the main characters, of course. But as we learn about these personal battles, uh, both from the author and then from uh, the actor, we will just get this feel of unyielding teamwork. That's what I really can say about this. I think rowing is one of those sports that requires just this choreographed teamwork. But you have to be willing to put in the work. You have to persevere. And this story, in my opinion, reaches beyond just sports, as I say. I think it will touch everybody's heart, especially during this holiday season. It just speaks to us, the generation who understands the essence of perseverance and the importance of standing together in the face of adversity. So please do settle in. I think you're going to find this inspiring. It's just a testament to the human spirit and our boundless potential. I felt like this story is a reminder that no matter what the odds, with unity and determination, triumph is within our grasp. My hope is that this story, this movie, and the review today will serve as inspiring you to reflect on your own journeys and the power of persistence, especially during the new year. This story could serve as a powerful reminder. It's never too late to pursue one's dreams, regardless of the obstacles in the way. As many of you are aware, after reading this bestseller, Boys in the Boat book, Daniel James Brown is the author. And as I say, in 1936, so it goes back quite a ways, nine working-class American boys burst from their small towns into the international limelight, unexpectedly wiping the smile, the smirk, off of Adolf Hitler's face by beating his vaunted German team to capture the Olympic gold medal. So no spoiler alerts here today. That's basically the storyline, but so much more. It goes on in this story, and we will hear that from Daniel James Brown in just a minute, who's written this robust, emotional snapshot of an era, a book that I think you are going to recommend to all of your friends. This book, this story, as well as the film, are riveting. It not only recounts a historical triumph, but also reignites the fire of inspiration within us. Daniel James Brown's masterpiece and nonfiction narrative does just that. It's not merely about the 1936 Olympics in Berlin or the remarkable victory of a University of Washington crew team. It's a testament to the power of perseverance and unity, as I say. As you'll hear from Daniel James Brown today, he writes... In this manner of the eight rowers, I think I, I said nine above, it, it's eight rowers and a coxswain. Each of them has a unique story, all united by the boat. And you'll hear from Callum Turner about the role of the boat and 
there's this amazing backdrop of the world on the brink of change. So Brown's work, Daniel James Brown's work, offers us more than a story. It's an exploration into the human spirit, a reminder that regardless of age, we can pursue excellence. So important for our Not Old Better show audience. The, 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 the book and now the film are not just a small thing. It's an experience. You're just going to love this combination. I think it's an opportunity to delve into a pivotal moment in history to understand the intricacies of a sport like crew, which much like life itself requires strategy, teamwork, and a harmonious rhythm of many working as one. So I invite you to immerse yourself in Daniel James Brown's book and movie, The Boys in the Boat. It's more than a story about a crew team. Absolutely. It's about the resilience and the collective spirit that defines us all, especially as we navigate later chapters of our lives. Daniel James Brown, we sure appreciate your time, and we know you are very busy this holiday season, especially with the book and the movie. And I want to talk first about the movie. George Clooney is the director. I wonder if you could just tell us a quick story about how that came about, about what you learned from George, especially what you learned from George about the book, because I think the book is is so important in this whole story, and it really does tell the true story. Was George able to grasp that quickly? I'm sure. And what was your kind of your impression of that working relationship? Shortly after George got involved in the project and got attached to direct the film, he was kind enough to give me a call, which surprised me, but really pleased me. And we, we had a long, a long conversation about the book, and I was really heartened. It was very obvious talking to him on the phone that he not only had read the book, but that he really got it. He got the spirit of the book. He understood what the heart of the of the story was. And in fact, he talked about it in personal terms. He grew up quite poor in Kentucky. And so that helped him identify with this sort of ragtag bunch of kids that are at the heart of the story of the boys in the boat. And, um, and so he elaborated on how he personally felt connected to Joe Rance, who was the principal character in the story, and the hardship that Joe went through as a, as a young man and as a boy. So as he was talking about that, I really felt that he was um, really in touch with what was most important about telling the story. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, Daniel James Brown, your wonderful book, now the movie The Boys in the Boat, really centers upon the boat, of course, but these eight oarsmen, one coxswain, and these young men were a group that had many challenges, not the least of which was rowing. What drove them and how, how did they survive the times, each other, and, and everything else that was working against them? These nine young men are in many ways representative of their generation. Um, they were hard scrabble kids growing up in very hard times. They had qualities that they, they had to acquire in order to survive, perseverance and a, a sort of relentless drive to, to get ahead, uh, coping with hard circumstances, humility in the face of, um, 
obstacles, a willingness to pull together and, and try to help each other. So I think a lot of those things are things that we've lost along the way or we don't cultivate as much as we once did. So their story for me in many ways is representative of the struggle that that whole generation of Americans went through. And that's certainly one of the things that attracts me to the story. And I, I think it's one of the things that attracted uh, George Clooney to it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the book is so positive. The story is so upbeat. We need this right now, and especially in these times. I, I'm sure you'd agree. You know, in, in many ways, it's a feel-good story. It helps us feel good about ourselves as a people. It, it reminds us of what we're capable of when we pull together. It was one of the things that, uh, that George mentioned when I talked to him the first time, and it's, it's certainly one of the principal things that matters to me about the story. It's just this is the right time, I think, for Americans to see a story like this. I think they're going to find it uplifting, inspiring, and I think they're going to come out of the theaters feeling, feeling good about being American. And there's a real hunger for this kind of story, a real hunger for stories about people working collaboratively, working uh, with one another rather than against one another, and to use the metaphor of the book, simply pulling together. So I, I, think, I think there's a huge demand for, for that. I think there's a hunger for it. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. And at the same time, the story has lots of ups and downs, twists, turns, uh, but the good over bad, the, the triumph over adversity comes out way ahead, in my opinion. As, as you wrote the book, did you try to emphasize the long shot nature or the dark horse element of this story? I do think everybody loves an underdog story, mm-hmm. yeah. and this is a classic underdog story. In many ways, it reminds me of uh, Seabiscuit, Laura Hillenbrand's book, which, of course, was uh, this ragtag little horse that then nobody thought could win. The whole generation of Americans uh, sort of fixated on um, on Seabiscuit because that horse represented them in many ways. I think these nine young men in the boat, uh, in a very similar way, um, galvanized the attention of the nation because people felt they could identify them, identify with them. These were young working class men. They were the sons of farmers and fishermen and loggers. There was nothing pretentious about them. They were making a, having a hard time making a way in the world. So it was easy, I think, during the Depression for Americans to see them as representative of, of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we also identify with Joe Rance. Uh, the audience identifies with Joe Rance. And we'll be speaking with Callum Taylor in just a bit. I'm going to ask about his character, Joe Rance, who just has this scene-stealing charisma with his his unshakable rowing demeanor. The backstory of Joe is tough. It's hard and really not a great upbringing from absentee parents. Tell us a little bit about Joe. You know, Joe was um, basically thrown away by his father and his stepmother. He was treated almost as disposable. He was left to fend for himself, living virtually in the woods as a teenager. Um, and he had to find a way to make sense of his life and to find a place in the world having been discarded so casually. My experience with the readers of the book is that they're very drawn to Joe's story because it's a story of redemption and a story of how uh, a vulnerable young man uh, can can find his way in the world through something like, in this case, crew, which gave him a purpose. It 
bonded him to other young men of his generation. So I think the Joe Rance story is very uh, central to the way people uh, respond to the to this to the story. The story is just so amazing. It, it's so positive and upbeat. It, it, just as you said, as you began to write the story, it just seems so obvious on its face that it was one that you could be drawn into immediately. Was it that obvious? What drew you to it immediately? Part of what's charming for me about the story is that these these young men had essentially no rowing experience uh, to get where they wound up winning the Olympics. They had to row against um, their very good rivals at Cal Berkeley. But then they had to row against kids from the East Coast, kids who had almost grown up with oars in their hands, kids who'd gone to prep schools uh, and had learned to row uh, as uh, adolescents or children even. Um, these guys had no experience like that at all. The first time they climbed into a racing shell was in the 1930s when they joined the crew program. So it's all more remarkable. And then they had to go on and defeat the British crew in Berlin. And again, you're talking about young men from Oxford and Cambridge who had gone to um, private, or what they call public schools in the UK and learned to row there. So all the way through their rowing careers, they were rowing against higher and harder levels of competition until they finally rowed against a Nazi crew in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Coach Albrechtson, who played a role in this. Coach Al Albrechtson, he, he's this calm, quiet head coach for the University of Washington crew program. For most of the book, for most of the film, he is worried that he's going to lose his job again and again. He loses these big races, lots of local and university conference rowing tournaments. I wonder if, though, what was it about Coach Albrechtson that you can tell us that just jumped out? at you about him, his character. So Coach, Coach Albrechtson's job was definitely on the line in 1936. It was clear that he was going to lose his position if he didn't at least get his crew to, to Berlin, uh, if not win the gold medal. He was, uh, Albrechtson was a man of few words often. He could be very tough. Um, he was often hard on the young men that rode uh, for him. But he also was kind of a genius. Uh, he understood that putting a great crew together involves a kind of alchemy. It involves mixing and matching different personality types and different physical types to find a formula that actually makes the boat go faster. And he experimented in the spring of 1936 a lot with the JV boat, putting boys in, taking boys out, trying to find just that magical combination of strengths that would, uh, would, would cut the you know, would make the day in Berlin. And he finally found it actually when he added uh, Joe Rance to the boat quite late that spring. Crew, rowing, these university conference boat races were a very big deal, especially in these times, 1936, and, and especially in the state of Washington, but all throughout the United States. Why was this so important to us then? It's it's amazing to to realize that in the 1930s, on a given Saturday afternoon, 60, 70, 80,000 people might turn out for a crew race on Lake Washington in Seattle or on the Hudson River in New York or any number of places across the country. It was an enormously popular uh, spectator sport. It was also um, a sport that... Uh, 
drew a lot of national attention from the press. Crew races were covered uh, coast to coast by, by the major papers. Uh, Coxon's sore throat could make headlines in the newspapers. Prominent oarsmen found their, uh, their faces on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post and other magazines. And millions and millions of dollars were, sp- were spent betting on, on the outcome of these races. Two quick final questions for you, James Daniel Brown. We talked about what drew you to the story, but I wonder if your research, what did you uncover that really grabbed you, really just pulled on those heartstrings? What was it about the story that just started to just pull you more and more into it? And then finally, why do we need these stories today, now? Why is this important to us? You know, this story is one of the rare times when I've been researching a book that as the more I dug into the story, the more incredible it became. Oftentimes when you start researching a book, it just sort of fizzles out or isn't as rich a possibility as you thought it might be. This story, as I dug into it and I discovered characters like George Pocock and the influence he had on the crew and the improbability of Don Hume, the stroke or getting sick just before the final race and all these little plot points and twists that I couldn't have contrived if I was a writer of fiction were already there for me as a writer. So it was a wonderful um, sort of voyage of exploration for me to, to uncover the story. And um, it is, it's remarkable. There are lots of twists in the story. A lot of unexpected things came up. Um, and um, I think I think it reads as 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 well as uh, good good fiction. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree 100. percent This just reads like uh, you know it's an, an amazing story. The the amazing quality of this. And so finally, again, then Daniel James Brown. Why is this story so important for us? So I think this for me this story is important in our time, primarily because I see it as a sort of metaphor for. Um, First of all, for that generation of Americans who lived through the Depression, who literally had to learn to pull together simply to survive first the Depression and then get through World War II. They were, they were literally all found themselves, maybe not literally, metaphorically, found themselves in the same boat at the beginning of the Great Depression. So they had to learn to pull together. So for me, the story ultimately is a metaphor for that generation's ability to persevere, to pull together, to get things done. But then also, I think it's a lesson, an object lesson for my generations and younger generations to look at and say, wow, these guys, these guys had some wisdom and it was wisdom born of really hard experiences, but it's wisdom worth paying attention to. Really a wonderful conversation with Daniel James Brown, author of the book, The Boys in the Boat. And now we're going to talk to the star of the film, the star of the boat, really. Welcome, Callum Turner. 
Calentoni, you play Joe Rance, a member of the University of Washington men's crew team in the film. And I did, I just really felt like, you know, it as much as a boat can have a star, Joe Rance, your character, was the preternaturally strong rower who just showed up day one with this unshakable disposition. And I'm very much the star, excuse me. <laughs> what was it about the story that piqued your interest? Uh, my first reaction was that it was a wonderful rags to riches story. And it was almost fairy tale esque And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I read the book and there were moments that were really heartbreaking. And from uh, those low points in Joe's life to reach the euphoria that he did uh, was really compelling. And I was blown away by the story. And then to play Joe Rance, what, what was it about him that you saw um, as, as redeemable and, and as attractive as a character? Well, we meet Joe Rance at 19 years old, and he's about to start university, which is uh, a miracle to begin with because he's homeless. He lives in a car. He's been abandoned by his dad when he was 14 His mother died when he was three. Uh, He's been fighting his whole life. And he's at this point where he's doing something really incredible. And he finds rowing because he needs to make some money to stay in university. He needs to pay for his tuition. And he he just initially rows as a job, as a way to stay in school, but finds this, this thing that's bigger than him for the first time in his life, he's found something that's more important than himself. Yeah, definitely more important. And, and we talked to Daniel James Brown, of course, the author, and, and he really gave us this sense that Joe found something more important, but he found a purpose. He, he bonded uh, to, the, to the boat, and, and then he bonded to that crew, but he really had some tough times. He's wounded. He's a wounded individual. And... He's used to being wounded. He's used to being abandoned. He's used to being alone. He's used to dealing with things in a very um, quiet way. And that's part of the struggle for him in uh, being part of a team and being responsible for eight other guys uh, and being responsible for the boat rather than just himself. He has to learn to become a team player. And that's, you know, on a soul level, that's the thing that, it's so beautiful for Joe that he um, he understands that he learns he learns what that means and he grows. Yeah, it's very clear that he grows. He he makes this this big almost about face, and we we talked to Daniel James Brown about Coach Al Ulbrichson and Joe's relationship and his commitment to the team, which does take this big leap forward at one time. Tell us about what Joe does then. Up until. Up until the Poughkeepsie race, Joe's just doing it. He's going through the motions. It's only when he's really forced to look into the mirror, Albrechtson kicks him out of the boat because his head's spinning and he's not concentrating, he's not being a team member. Albrechtson kicks him out of the boat and in that moment he realises he's got a choice and can he face up to it? Can he take responsibility? Can he be part of a team? Or is he going to do the same thing as he's always done and retreat and hide. And um, he makes the decision in that moment to take responsibility. And once he takes responsibility for his part in the boat and the boat itself, 
he he becomes a leader and he becomes um, someone that the other guys can look to and rely on. And he enjoys it. And Coach Albrechtson, what, what more can you tell us about he and Joe? Coach Albrechtson is an extremely uh, um, stoic, shadowy figure to the boys up until they get into the, they get selected to be in the boat. He's sort of uh, uh, hidden away and this godlike figure to everyone. Um, and what's really brilliant is the way that Joel plays it. Um, but also, you know, he dressed incredibly well. So what Jenny Egan's done with him adds to that. Um, and Martin shot him. There's a lot of silhouettes of him. And it becomes sort of this really shadowy figure, uh, which is cool. Um, but they don't get to know him as a man until much later. So what is the point of this story to you and to Joe? Is it? rags the riches of these guys to be lifted up in the way that we have felt it uh, has been incredible and the story the uh, rags the riches almost doesn't do it justice you know the, what these guys go through like you say where they've come from most of these guys have a pot to piss in and they have to they have to find it from somewhere to 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 achieve what they achieved um yeah, it's it's a beautiful story, and there's loads of things. I was actually talking about the the Jubilee weekend that we had here the other day, and it was so nice to see everyone together and everyone. And it's such a rarity, and that's what this film does. It brings people together, and they achieve something extraordinary against all odds. And then finally, Callum Turner, I asked Daniel James Brown about the underdog nature of this story. Did you identify with that? Everyone loves an underdog story because I believe most people in the world are an underdog and we can align ourselves with these heroes as they go through their journey and they achieve the unthinkable. And that's what these guys do, ultimately. And um, at every point in their journey, they're doubted and they're pushed and they're prodded and they're told they can't do it. But they all have, with this belief from Albrechtson, a through line in which they they deep down know that they can they can do something incredible and they do it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks to my guests Daniel James Brown and Colm Turner for their participation in our interview today. I want to thank EPK TV for their help in generating these wonderful stories and these wonderful interviews. I really can't rave enough about this book. Daniel James Brown has been a wonderful guest. So has Colm Turner. We're very appreciative of their time and availability. I think you're going to enjoy the movie The Boys in the Boat. So please, dear audience on radio and podcast, be well, be safe. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better show on radio and podcast. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year. Please enjoy your time together. And please enjoy The Boys in the Boat. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.